Welcome to Dentistry Unmasked. I'm Pam Maragliano Muniz and David, we hit the big time. We're on the big stage at SmileCon. We're on a main stage. I don't know what that means. I know, thank you so much. I don't know what that means, but it feels pretty good to be up here with two great friends. Two great friends and amazing, amazing people. Dr. Chad Duplantis, Irene Yadinku. I learned how to say that for the first, I was today years old when I learned how to say Irene's last name. So um, welcome guys, I'm so happy to have you guys here. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so one thing I wanna start with, it's like such a, I don't know, I guess we could call it like a a pet peeve or Uh something that David and I seem to have is influencers that like don't have anything to back it up. Like I hate like that. So you guys both have really influential social pages, podcasts, et cetera. What's your take on that? I'm gonna let Chad take this one first. <laughs> oh boy. No pressure, Chad. You know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of influencers out there and there's a lot of really good influencers out there. We've got a great profession. Um, you know, and I think we just all have to have a why when we do this, you know, and so for us it's we wanna promote education and we wanna promote well informed dentists. And I think that, you know, some people maybe don't have the why or they're still searching for the why and I guess that's okay because you know it must must be working um, but that I know you didn't ask for advice but that would probably be my biggest piece of advice if you want to be an influencer is is figure out your why and I know um, you have one David I love what you're doing Irene I still haven't figured out what she's doing but she's pretty <laughs> fantastic at it but all kidding aside I think that we all have a why and that that really backs us. Yeah. Um, I think on the evolution of what I've been able to do with my career, I didn't have my why at the beginning. So that's probably why Chad still doesn't know what I, what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> that was a joke. It took me a little while to figure it out. And I think what happens in this quote unquote influencer era, if we're dropping a Swifty uh, little, little quote, is that you're either doing it for the fame or you're doing it for the greater good of our profession. And I think building a legacy in dentistry is what we're all striving to do in a certain way. Whether you get that information out with a dancing video or whether you're physically doing a procedure in the operatory, those are both ways to deliver education, but I think the reason behind it is what someone needs to identify. I I don't dance well and I don't lip sync well, so those types of content I don't consume them, and they also don't speak to me on the educational level. I like science, I like research, I like procedures, and I like failures. So if I'm going to share something on social media, it's going to be because either I'm learning from it myself, I'm trying to teach someone something that I learned from somebody else, or I'm sharing one of my failures in order to change the way that maybe I influence how someone else practices. Is it right all the time? No. Is it cringy sometimes? Sure. but I think it's the evolution of our careers. And one day I hope my legacy is not that someone is learning how to do a TikTok dance for me, but that they're able to treat a patient differently in order to provide a better outcome, whether that be for hygiene or restorative or practice management. I love that. So let's talk about failures because I know I have them and I've got some like, I'm one of those that like, I don't just like stumble. Like when I fail, like I go big, like it's like, I'm the kid that like, instead of like falling, getting right back up, like I'll roll down the hill and like break a heel. Like I'll do all those things. And it really translates itself into life and to dentistry. So I feel like, you know, I don't have like, oh, my composite just doesn't look so good. It's like, no, no, no. 
my full arch zirconia restoration is in half now and we need to now deal with it. Would you guys share some of your failures? I have a recent one. I want you to go first this time. I have a recent time. one. Uh -oh. And I'm actually going to share it on an Instagram live coming up too. Um, so I'm a restorative dental hygienist, which means that I can now do restorative procedures. I can do everything except prep a tooth. Um, but one thing that I really enjoy doing is resin infiltration. We've kind of connected over that over the last little while. So resin infiltration coupled with restorative procedures. So I got a little cocky recently and I thought, oh, a white spot lesion is a white spot lesion, although there's a variety of different ones. It was, you know, one on an anterior tooth, single tooth, uh, no problem, it'll be easy. I took preoperative photos, I did the infiltration, I etched for longer than I would have, I infiltrated for longer than I would have, I did it three times, and that pesky lesion wouldn't go away. Not only did it not go away, but it turned brown. So then I thought, okay, well, let's just prep the surface slightly and then fill it with resin. So we filled it with resin and then it just looked hideous and the brown was still shining through. So what did I do? We took more photos and we identified that this lesion was all the way through. So it was from the incisal, on the buccal surface, all the way to the lingual. And had I known, I probably wouldn't have done it at all. I would have said, let's not infiltrate at all. Let's like, find a different solution to this. Um, and we've had to replace that restoration twice now and reprep that twice, all because I got really cocky and thought, oh, it's just one tooth on an anterior, it'll be easy, it'll take me 45 minutes to an hour to do. And that's a permanent change for this person's smile, for their life, for the longevity of their restoration. They're ultimately gonna have to have, to have that restoration replaced five, 10, 15 years from now in a young human and I now have learned what not to do. And I shared that on social media and social media tore me apart. So I'm gonna share it again. <laughs> so hopefully. I love you had the courage to share it. I Absolutely, did. It's, e yeah. it's easy to put out all the good stuff, isn't it? It's easy to stand on a stage and share your best cases. Yeah. It's easy on Instagram to share your best cases, but uh, maybe it's just the four of us who've had things fail, but turns out we're still learning and trying to get better every day. Oh, How about you, Chad? You know, uh, I actually did a podcast last week with one of your team members, and they asked us about mistakes. And I, and I started to say this, and I was like, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, my life is full of mistakes. <laughs> my personal <laughs> life, my practice life, but we've got to learn from them, you know? And that doesn't mean that I'm a cruddy dentist by any means, but, you know, you look back, and so one of the things that I like to share is you know, a financial mistake that we made in our practice. And so going back to 2004, I was really young, I was really cocky, I was looking for ways to minimize overhead, I had just joined this practice and I had this great idea that we're gonna bring this device in the office and it's, trust me, I just wanna say it, it is not the device that failed. Uh, but we brought the device in, it didn't work in our scenario and we had it for three years. It was a hundred plus thousand dollar investment. We sold it three years later for $27,000 overseas, had to buy a shipping crate to send it over there. And I look back and I'm like, you know, why have so many people had success with this and I failed with it. And you know, when I did a deep dive into myself, my practice philosophy and what I did wrong, and it was because I never really fully gave the team the opportunity to embrace it. You know, I brought something in because it was driven by me and the team wasn't involved in that decision making. So, 
you know, I learned from that and now we're back to using, you know, similar technology in the practice. I love technology. We've been doing so for the past 10, 12 years, but everything that we bring into the office now, there's, there's a huge meeting beforehand. And I feel like, you know, this is maybe the motto of me for this presentation is that why are we doing this? Why does our practice need it? How are we going to use it? And then, you know, once we do that, once the team's informed, once they're educated, we embrace it. And so everything that we bring into the office is successful now because we have a lot of meeting and discussion before doing so. So, How about you, Pam? You know, it's so funny you say that because I do the same thing now. So, okay, for starters, you have to have the right team in place. So I've talked about this over and over and over again and I'm happy to share it again. But I did not have the right team for six yeah. years. And it took me the pandemic to like have that time off. So like, thank you, COVID to think about what was going on in my life and my practice. And to be honest with you, I was extremely unhappy because nobody saw my value or my vision or anything that I wanted to bring into the practice. And so if any technology I brought in ended up collecting dust in the closet, I mean, it was just what it was. And I realized I didn't have the right team in place. So I started with, I replaced my entire clinical team during the pandemic. And now what I do when I want to bring new technology in is I will spot when this technology would solve a certain problem. For example, like an intraoral scanner. I was like, you know, this impression doesn't look so good, but it wouldn't matter if we had an intraoral scanner. And I feel like, you know, oh, I don't have time to make impressions right now. Well, you would if we had an intraoral scanner. And then all of a sudden, Somebody's like, you know, it would have been nice if we had an intraoral scanner. And now they're pressing me to buy the technology that I wanted to buy yep. in the first place. And I'm like, that's right. Great concept. Yeah. Make it someone else's idea. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I will say that when that happens, teams on board, they're super excited. They're excited for training. They're engaged. And I'm like, as of today, everybody, this is how we do it. And there's no turning back. And then once you have that buy-in, I feel like that's really the way to go. I mean, for me at least, that's what works in my practice with my team. For sure. I would agree. So do you want to know a clinical mistake, a financial mistake, or a leadership mistake? Because I too, Chad, have made all the mistakes you can make. He's got good ones. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Pick your I favorite. I read his book. I read his book recently. I read it cover to cover, and every page had a highlight or a sticky note in it. So was, I want to, can I ask this question? <laughs> of course, this is a conversation. Okay. Um, I would like you to share your biggest practice mistake. Not clinical mistake, but post, what's your associate's name, Matt? Mark. Mark, post Mark mistake. Post Mark mistake. Mark was his first associate. Mark's the first associate, longtime partner in the practice now, 28 years. Um, I'm going to say when I was going through maybe a rougher patch in my personal life, my biggest practice mistake became thinking I had the answers to all the questions all the time and that if you didn't agree with my answers to the questions that clearly something was wrong with you. And to Pam's point, um, getting team buy-in was not really all that easy then and it took Mark, thankfully it took Mark pulling us in our office one day, closing the door, saying, listen, all these people out there love you. They want the best for you. And they need better from you. And, and that was a hard thing to hear. 
but I, it was a necessary thing to hear. And um, so my biggest mistake was that period of time just getting in my own way. And then as a result, I got in everybody's way. And it made life in general really difficult. So, Isn't it nice to have someone like that? Like I don't, I don't have a person in my practice that would come to me and shut the door and say, hey, you are the problem right now. You need to figure your stuff out. I mean, so that's a trust thing. I think, I don't know, can we carry this a few minutes? Um, that's a trust thing, I think, if we don't have that person in our practice. Like, who in our life is that person? Because I guarantee, Mark, probably in the people in practice, not the only people who noticed that about me. And maybe he was just, um, maybe he loved me enough as a friend to be the guy. So I think we, I don't know, how do we find those people? Do you have that person in your office? You have them? You know, my business partner and I have a really good relationship, and I think that we, we do have those people. I think the conversations have never had to be that blunt. But, uh, you know, one of the best dentists that, that I can think of uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area told me a story a long time ago that, you know, he had kind of gotten too wrapped up in his personal life. He was, he, he was having some issues with his clinical work and there was a, another dentist in the area that came in and told him, you're better than this. Wow. Oh, wow. You're better than this. And you can do better than this. You need to focus on what you did before you were having these issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now uh, I think he's got two of his three kids are dentists. Uh, he's since passed away. But I will never forget that story. And it, I think of it almost on a daily basis because... If there's ever an issue with my partner, I want to be that guy. I, I want to be that person that tells him, hey, focus on what you did back when, when it was really good. Things have gotten out of hand. And, you know, um, I don't necessarily want that moment to come along, but that's something that sticks with me every day, that if you see somebody that's down, help them get back up, you yeah. know. What about you? So. Do you have anyone like that? I would say my office manager would yeah. probably be the only one that would close the door and be like, look, yeah. something's not right. Um, thankfully, I feel like ever since I've gotten the right team in place, that hasn't been the case. I feel like for me, it was easy to, when I didn't have the right people who didn't see my vision, who didn't really care about what I wanted to do in the practice, I just sort of checked out. I'm like, you want me to lecture in the middle of the week in California? Sign me up. Like, I yeah. was just checked out. And I feel like that was my way of, you know, separating myself from my own practice problems. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, I can't be there enough. And I'm so happy to be there. If you know, gosh, it's like a blessing if I don't have to travel and I actually spend a full week in my practice. And so I think that you're right. Everybody has to be able to lift everybody up. And there was somebody in my practice who was going through some personal things. And I was like, how do we get the old person back? Like, when is this storm going to pass? Or what can I do to help you, you know, check out on some of those problems as you walk in the door so you can do what you need to do here so then this doesn't pile up on you and cause more problems down the road. So it was sort of one of those conversations. I think as an employer, it's harder to have that conversation because there is that little bit of a divide there. But I think that we all have to be accountable to one another, we're a team after all. And even though we're the leader, you know, we all need to be able to have that checks and balances. 
do you all do this in your practice? We started this maybe 16, 17 years ago. You know, we, we sit down four times a year with our team and we basically evaluate and assess how everybody's doing. Does your team assess you? Mine do, yeah. Yeah. That's a new thing, though. How, how did that go the first time? I think that's a really important thing for us all to have. I in our didn't practices. believe a word they said. Interesting. So, yeah, and and I I have learned now how to identify the way certain team members or all team members want to be communicated with. So we yeah. had this like one-on-one -on -one discussion of like, tell me about your feedback style. How do you want to receive positive or constructive feedback in the moment, end of the day, in writing, in a text, in a phone call? So we kind of like hashed out how everyone wants to be communicated with because not the, my delivery is, is sometimes very abrupt and it's not how some people want to receive that information. So we had that conversation and then I wanted to know how I'm doing as a leader. I, I, I opened a practice during the pandemic. I've never been a boss before. Yeah. I've never opened an office before. I knew nothing, uh, very little about running a business, a dental practice. And, and now I'm taking all of these, you know, heavy lifting guru books and trying to like, you know, the, 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 the owner eats last and uh, the things you should do in the first 90 days and 1% better and all of these like, you know, catchy yeah. systems that other people have put in and I'm like day one Irene, don't even know how to pay the bills. So the first time they gave me feedback, they were trying to be my friend and it's like, oh, everything is great. You're wonderful. You do really great for us. You, you know, the way that you talk to us is good. And then the second time that came around where we actually got to know each other a little bit more, the real answers came out. And I cried a lot because I realized that people need more from their boss. They don't want just a boss. They want a leader and they want a mentor. I didn't realize of my now three hygienists, two of them needed a mentor. They wanted to work for me because it was me, not yeah. because I am just another office that they collect a paycheck from and I was unavailable to them. So it hurt me to think that I might lose these really great people because I'm not investing my capabilities as a clinician in developing them as clinicians, which was one of the reasons why they came to work for me in the first, first place. place. Yeah. And I didn't ask those questions during the interview process because I didn't even interview them myself. And I was very much separated from the business side of things because I knew I wasn't strong at being a business practice manager. So I hired one who also wasn't strong at being a business <laughs> practice manager. So then I lost team members and it was just a hot mess until I realized I need to ask the people what they expect from me um, and then build this radically candid but empathetic way of communicating. So there is a book that I love called Radical Candor and there's a podcast and they talk about the principles of in order for you to be radically candid and be perceived as not aggressive, you need to feel deeply about your people, you need to be empathetic, um, and you need to set communication expectations and boundaries. And since I've done that, the feedback that I get, which isn't always good, just doesn't hurt as much. Yeah. How do you solicit that feedback? So I feel like it's, you know, do you have them fill out a form? Do you meet with them? Like, how do you effectively get and receive that feedback? Both. So use your, I use my instincts a lot, which oftentimes lead me to knowing when someone is not telling me the full picture of the full story. So we do a, a quarterly kind of survey when we have our quarterly team meeting. We have monthly meetings, but our team meeting that is quarterly is operational. It has nothing to do with like, 
you didn't put the sensor back in the right spot or like whatever the, the computers are daily. slow and Sodexis yeah. won't open like it's not that it's how are we developing our practice and what are we doing what's the goal are we reaching our goals and what what is in the way so that gets sent in a Google spreadsheet a week before and there are there are, all of the questions are mandatory so you can't just skip over them there are some like you know rate things from one to five and then there are some things where they actually physically have to write a piece of feedback it comes back to me and if it's not thorough enough I send it back to them so there's this accountability that someone's looking at it before the due date um, and then we have one-on-ones so I have a one-on-one -on -one with a department and then I have a one-on-one -on -one with a team member and then we review those things in detail so they know that their answers are coming to me and to the person that it's about but not to the whole team I think it's the embarrassment of like you talking smack about your boss at a team meeting that people just don't want so I do that in those two ways and set a time and a date for when there should be a resolution to it in order for me to say hey I realize that the way that I was communicating with you was making you feel X, Y, and Z based on what I saw. I'm going to work on this. Can we reevaluate in December? Let's meet again, and because I, I don't want to, you know, step on your toes or vice versa. Um, so there has to be like a clear expectation or date. Otherwise, behavior patterns continue. What about you, Chad? I think it's interesting because I think that, and I don't play this card often, but I think as a woman practice owner versus a man practice owner. It's different. And I feel like I get a lot more crap as a woman <laughs> practice owner. I feel like... I I, let me be a man for a week and I'll let you know. Oh my gosh, <laughs> sign me up. So do you get feedback like Irene's describing? Yeah, we, we, get, a, we get a lot of crap. I mean, you know, but it, it's all good. I mean, you know, I, we have... I, I was trying to figure out how I would answer this question, but I think this year has been very different for our practice. So for the first... 20 years of my existence in this practice that I'm in, my practice was on cruise control. And, and I mean that in a good way. It was, it was cruise control, but every year we'd bump the speed up a notch and everything was, was good. We had an office manager that was with us for the first 16, 17 years. She retired. She handed off the baton to another office manager. And then unfortunately in July of this past year, she passed away. Oh, and sorry. When she passed away, we went through this change that we had to find a new office manager and I felt that our, our rhythm was completely lost. I mean, it was like we were, we, we were bumping it up from you know 65 when I started, it got up to 80 and then all of a sudden we're in the emergency lane on the highway trying to figure out how we're gonna get through this mess. Um, at the time, we ended up promoting from within. Well, we, we hired somebody that just didn't work out. I mean, it was, it was, borderline disastrous but I look back and there were some positives that came out of it then you know we we promoted from within one of our hygienists had to medically retire she became our office manager she's a hot shot she's young but you know what I'm saying is is that there was like a nine-month period where I was like oh my god what's going on in our practice and I feel that we're back we're back where we were but there's never been a time we have a I have a very open-door policy as does my partner that if I need feedback, our team is like family. They're gonna walk in and they're gonna shut the door and be like, dude, get your head out of your rear end, okay? You just did this and why did you do this and why did you do that? I mean, everybody covers for everybody, but I mean that in the way that they're, they're gonna pick you up, but they're also gonna let you know when you're letting them down or letting a patient down. And so feedback's never really been an issue in our office. It goes both ways, um, but 
I, I think we have a very unique experience from a practice managerial standpoint. Yes, we do have the meetings, and yes, we have our morning huddles, and yes, we do have goals. I loved what Irene said, and for anybody listening out there, that's the number one rule about setting a goal. Set a goal, know the expectations, set a date for it to be accomplished, and if not, why? All right, I would like to address the hygiene shortage a little bit because it's- I almost put the water on my mouth. I almost choked. <laughs> She's going for it, everyone. I'm oh, going no. for it, A everybody. little heads up. Oh no. Here we go. All uh -oh. right. The time Buckle is come. Buckle up, everyone. I'm sweating profusely at this next question. So, all right. I mean, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a different situation because I have like a hygiene surplus in my practice and I'm so blessed for that. But, you know, there is a general hygiene shortage out there. And, you know, for me, I feel like it's culture, it's buying them the things and, you know, really giving them the autonomy and the flexibility and schedules and that kind of thing. But I know even with hiring assistants, you know, you'd meet somebody and they'd be like, all right, what you're offering? What are you giving me? How much is it going to, how am I going to make? And that is definitely not a way to lead with me and my practice because that's, you're like not going to get hired, even if you're the best person ever. I'm going to start this. I know, Chad, you said you just hired two hygienists. Yes. But I have to ask Irene, because you're living both lives. Like, you're a hygienist, yep. but you're a business owner. Yep. How do you respond to not only the hygienists that might walk into your practice, but to the hygienists that you see on social media that are saying, yes, hygienists should be making $75 an hour. Hygienists should, you know, dentists don't know your worth unless you're paying this crazy amount of money. Like, what is your response to that? Okay, so let's dissect, let's dissect the, 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 the bigger problem and the bigger issue. Aside from dental hygienists no longer wanting to be in our profession over COVID, a lot of them resigned or changed professions for a variety of different reasons. Now we're coming back and we're asking for more money. Why? They want more stuff, perhaps, but that doesn't come out of your salary, right? So your salary is your salary and then everything else gets plopped on into overhead. They want more freedom with their schedule, so they want to make more money and work less hours. Amen to that. I want that too. Uh, but what's happening is there's a disconnect between the understanding of how a business runs and how money gets distributed amongst dental hygienists. Something that I was not privy to in the last 15 years of practice for someone else until I opened my own doors and looked at what is overhead what is a fixed overhead cost versus a variable overhead cost? How much should a dental hygienist be making based on his or her or their billings? And what does that segue and break down and trickle down into what are the profits for the practice and how much money should I be investing into equipment for my dental hygienist? So I'm a spreadsheet person, I'm a math person, and I'm not a business person, but I had to learn what all of these elements should be in a variety of different buckets. So. How do I pay my hygienists? They're all paid on commission. They are part of the team, just like the associates, just like me. We're all in it for the greater good of the practice and for the greater good of the patients. And if you wanna make $75 an hour, honey, you can, but you need to be earning 30% of what you're billing. So that's how it works. So when they come in to be an employee, they get an employee contract, and there are three options. And the first option is I will pay you an hourly rate based on the average that is provided to us by the Canadian Dental Hygienist Association based on our province, and that's the number you get. And at the time, it was like, I don't know, $52 an hour. Toronto was a very big city, right? 
In Canada, our billings are also very different. So here, what is the profi cost? 100 bucks, 120 bucks, 130 bucks? About there. Yeah, probably okay. more profi in exam, which is profi. Yeah, but Pro it's like- Profi it's like, and Arius, sub 100, maybe like 90. A, it's like a, yeah. a, a one-stop shop. You know, yeah. you're, you're not adding anything to it. It's, it's a profi and an examination. Now, do you add more money to it or an extra code to it if there's x-rays that are taken? Do you add if there's fluoride taken? So all of those things, those additional add-ons to this appointment that increase the value of the appointment take time, right? And sometimes it's done by a hygienist, sometimes it's done by an assistant. So what we do is you can make your hourly rate, you can make option two or B is a base plus a commission or a, a, a percentage of what you're producing. Or option three, which is the sexiest number is 30%. <laughs> of anything that you bill excluding examinations or anything that's done by the dentist in that operatory um, and you have the earning capabilities to make a lot more. So a new patient hygiene visit in my practice costs about $430 and that includes 70 minutes with the hygienist. It includes whatever first visit of hygiene they do utilizing our air polishing system, whatever exam that the hygienist is doing, extraoral, intraoral, and time-wise. All of those little add-ons add on to about $430. So that's a decent amount. That's 65-ish dollars per hour for that one appointment. Now, the next patient might be a three-year-old and you're reading them a book and you're doing a happy visit and it's $25 um, and you're not making very much on that one, but you're part of it as the team. So the rule is you can pick one of these two, but you can't change your salary for 12 months. So if you say, I'm gonna take this $52 cause it's the safe one. And then, you know, Susie in the operatory picked the 30%. You're looking at her billings and you're like, damn, I made a mistake. You need to come to me with a really strong reason why I need to switch you to now a percentage model because technically you weren't part of the team to begin with. You were here to clock in, clock out and make your 52 bucks. So what are you gonna do? You're either gonna quit, which is fine. In and out, you said it in your book. Uh, hire slowly, fire quickly, mm -hmm. yes. this quote. Um, which means that you didn't come into this with the right idea. So, sure, you deserve to make more money, hygienists. Well, let but me you also ask need you this. to contribute to the team. I don't know how it works in Canada, but you said what you're billing. Yeah. So, what you're billing and what you're collecting, at least in the US, are not the same number. So, you base it on production, or is production and collection the same well, thing in, in Canada? I, in our office, it's the same. It depends on what type. I mean, most offices collect insurance, we collect insurance. What we are billing the patient is also what we're expecting to collect. We send estimates to insurance in advance. We get breakdowns of coverage. So scaling units, for example, 15 minutes of scaling with a hygienist is $73. And that's for 15 minutes of time. That also equates to like our writing our chart notes are part of scaling time. So it takes me seven minutes to write my chart notes and 15 minutes to scale a patient's teeth. That's one and a half units. So all of this information is what we get, all of this information is what we treatment plan, what we present to the patient, and what we expect to collect. And insurances for us normally tell us in the moment whether it's accepted or not accepted, and then the patient, we collect the balance at the very end. So we have, our AR is quite low because our front end takes a lot of time to go through these steps. Um, but it's based on production, which equates usually to what we're collecting. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I love a lot of what Irene said, and I couldn't agree more with uh, the commission-based uh, pay. I find it funny how many people would defer that or go against that. We had a hygienist that did it, and we had two that, that refused to do it. And Why? You know, they just didn't know the numbers. Yeah, I, they, they did. They, they, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's more of a guarantee, but there was always 
there was always a, a, a pillow to fall on. We had a, a, a minimum and then we had a percentage and they, they would never make less than the minimum. They, they never even got close to the minimum hmm. when, when they were right. working. So, but there is a shortage um, and I don't know that it's that much there's a shortage. I know that the schools need to accept, uh, increase their class size or we need to get more hygiene schools because there are able and willing people that are very well qualified to become educated as a dental hygienist and they simply can't get into the schools. I mean, I have an assistant that worked for me for years and she's got excellent grades. They're just, the class size is so small, she keeps getting passed over and this will be her third attempt. So I hope she does get in, but you know, we've got temp agencies are kind of a thing of the past. Now we've got an app for that. And I'm not, you know, saying anything bad about that because I think it's great that they have an app for it, but the rates that are being requested through the temp agencies are astronomical. What are they just asking astronomical. for? We don't have that. I've heard upwards of $70 an hour. You know, so and the that's, temp agencies ask for the money and do they well, pay the, the hygienist? On behalf of the hygienist. Yeah. Oh, so so, and there's a markup. So, so here's, yeah. here's something weird about my practice is that we have not used a temp agency in probably 15 years. We have a hygienist that's kind of on standby. She's wonderful. She used to work in the practice. She's kind of semi-retired. She comes back in. And if I can't get her back in, I'd rather go that week without the production and I'll make it up over the next two weeks, you know, whatever it is. And so fortunately, but I've, I've been kind of following the industry because when we were looking, you know, there's also an option to hire somebody through a temp agency and pay that agency fee or temp app or whatever, um, you know, and that's, that's a pretty, you know, high fee as well. But when they're coming in and they're asking for all of this money, I think that we're going to run into an issue in a few years with burnout because the money should not be the almighty driving factor. And, and, and unfortunately it is. And I think that that's temporary. I don't think it can sustain forever. So I think that we will normalize at some point in time. I don't know that the rates that we pay hourly will ever be what they were five, six, seven years ago. Of course, that's not the case. But even a year ago, I don't know that those rates will exist. But I think we will normalize. I don't think it will be these astronomical rates. But whenever somebody's looking for new talent in their office, um, figure out who you are and what you have to offer because sometimes that means more to them than being able to make a few bucks extra yeah. an hour in a temp agency. And my business partner, he's been doing this a lot longer than I has. He, have, he was absolutely blown away when he found out the rates. He's like, wait a second, what? And then I was playing golf with a buddy last week and I was like, so what are you paying your hygienist? And he tells me and I'm like, oh brother, don't let anybody know that, you know, because right now it's crazy. And I was like, you know, this is what we had to do. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful, you know? So it is a very, I would hope, unusual time right now and that it will normalize. I found that at least with my hygienist, like I've had that back and forth between the production versus the hourly. We're on hourly, we've offered a bonus program. Nobody's motivated by it, at least in my practice. And we haven't been able to get it going because it doesn't change anything, in, at least in my practice. But I did ask the, my hygienist to, you know, my hygienists are paid hourly, as I said. I said, well, why don't you talk to your friends that are paid on commission? And what happens when a patient doesn't show up? What happens when your afternoon blows up? Are, you know, you get to clock in, you know, an hour to 45 minutes before your first appointment. I've never kicked anybody out of my practice, you know, after X number of 
minutes after their last appointment, you know, they're getting paid rain or shine. And I was like, I think if you did the math and, you know, kind of averaged it out, you're probably all getting paid the same. And I don't know if that dollar here, dollar there actually amounts to anything based on the structure in which you're working. I think it's a psychology <laughs> thing. So knowing that you have the capabilities to make a decent or significantly mm -hmm. higher hourly rate than your friends or your colleagues that you went to hygiene school with really does something to you. And it kind of, if you are a financially driven person, so this leads back to like the communication style question we had earlier, everyone likes to receive something in a different way, whether it's affirmative words or whether it's gifts or monetary elements, whatever their driving force is to success or how they define success, whether it be right or wrong, some people are cons consider it to be successful to earn more money. So if you give that incentive to the right person, then they'll thrive on it. But if another person says, well, I don't find money to be really attractive, I'm not a financially driven person, but I do like receiving you know, a budget for new instruments or new scrubs or whatever those other things are, if you can incorporate that into the bigger picture, that might make them feel more appreciated and more valued. But in my experience, the hygienists that have worked for me and worked for me are financially driven people. And I notice when they make more money, I can see the things that they spend on. Like all of a sudden my hygienist is now wearing aloe like <laughs> yoga pants. And I was like, I know those are $200 yoga pants. Like she busted her, I look at the production report, she busted it last month. She was making some pretty big coin on certain days. So she treated herself. And now I look at the ramifications of that in the few months coming up. She's pulling treatment plans. She's looking at outstanding treatment. She's getting people coming in for like localized SRPs. All of this thing is needed. But how much of our dental hygiene work is undiagnosed because we're running in this like profi mill, mm -hmm. profi wheel, where we're not spending the time to say, hey, I want to bring you back for this lower left quadrant. We're going to do localized SRP and laser and a rest in. We're going to do a DNA test. Whatever those like additional specific procedures are, that's going to increase production. It's also going to fill the schedule. And she's going to be able to go and buy another pair of pants. So, so do you guys feel, I mean, culturally, our practices adopt, you know, we, we become a persona. Do you feel offering multiple avenues like that? Because I love that, that your team leans in one direction. Like are, are, are all of your hygienists leaning towards like, hey, I want to be a part of that big picture where I get that 30% half and half. How does that work in your practice, Chad? You know, um, I, I want to step back for a second and say that you asked a question about no-shows and cancellations and the percentage. The person that's paid on the percentage, they don't have no-shows and cancellations. Yep. And in the rare instance that they do, what do they do? They are on the phone, mm -hmm. they are on the computer, they are filling their schedule six, eight, nine weeks out. Their patient never leaves without setting that next appointment. It's, it is psychological. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I think now, um, you know, the percentage, I, I don't understand why they don't all accept it. Because it, it's not taught in school. Yeah. In school, yeah, in your community class, I remember this vividly, there's a chart that they put up and it's all hourly rates. Yes. Based on the city of where you work or province of where you work, it's this magical number because someone, the ADHA and the CDHA survey everybody once a year 
And it's and that's what they're taught. There is no business class to say, hey, you can make more, ask for this instead. Yeah. It's stupid. Can I say yeah. stupid on this show? You can say you can say anything on the show. And I, I thought that I was the only person that wore aloe yoga pants to work. I'm so <laughs> glad there's others out there. They don't there. wear them to work, but you like in and out but, of work. But yeah. David, I will have since we're basically in kind of a I guess conundrum would be the word right now with, with two new hygienists. We're going to evaluate their progress over this year, and I think that we will bring that back to the table and kind of do an analytic on it next year sure. as to what you're offered. And and you know my advice for anybody who's wanting to go commission, you got to dangle the carrot a little bit. Yeah. You know, 30% is good, and your practice it may be 32, it may be 29, but you really have to do an analysis of the numbers to make sure that you're not doing something stupid. Right. <laughs> in you practice. come back and you're like, shoot, you don't that's wanna, a lot. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. undersell and you don't want to oversell either. So. And one like other beautiful thing that I learned from someone else, I stole from someone else, is to give them a budget for instruments um, or whatever sundries or elements or items or add-ons, whatever they want to buy for themselves to use in their operatory. Someone said, take 1% of what you made two months ago in collections. Take that 1% from collections two months ago, and that ends up being your sundries budget. So I take 4% overall from two months past. Um, our AR is like less than like 30 to 60 days, generally speaking. Um, so I take 4%, 1% goes to clinical, hygiene specific, and then the remainder 3% gets distributed amongst the rest of the office. So the main assistant that does our ordering, she gets this magical number, say it's whatever, $15,000. Um, a portion of that goes to the hygienist and they have a use it or lose it opportunity. So you either use it or you can bank it for another month if you wanna buy a bigger ticket item next month, but you can't bank it for any longer. So if I ever hear like, I don't have new instruments or like I really want this sealant material or whatever the stuff is, I don't get that like, my boss never buys me anything feeling because I'm just I'm giving you the money yes. you make your list this is your budget um, and it doesn't even come from me it comes from Ume our assistant who handles all of our ordering um, so we don't get that like back and forth and also it's really easy for me to budget because then I don't get stuck with like a $25,000 instrument order during a promo or a sale or whatever we encourage those instrument orders to be done during like a buy one get X, but mm -hmm. sometimes that doesn't always add up. But that's a really like nice thing to say at an onboarding for a new hygienist or an interview is when they ask, "Do I get new instruments?" It's like, yes, you get money every month to spend on what you want. You get one percent of something. Um, it ends up being whatever, two thousand dollars. So funny. I think I'm too nice, actually. Because you do I, lots of things, Pam. I'm not I, gonna lie. I do a lot of things, but one thing I do is, if we need it, we just get it. Like I, I don't know. Same. I'm just no, like you're I not, don't even. Yeah, I'm the same. No, there's no true. budget for that. Like, some, I'm like sometimes we feel guilty asking. I yeah. remember feeling guilty asking, and I remember feeling like, well, I'll wait maybe until because I know how expensive things are. So I would wait until like literally my instruments were as thin as a nail file, and and then the boss is like, yeah, just order it. And I'm like, oh. It was that easy, I should have done it earlier. But then you get at this opportunity of people over asking. Like they lose something or they break something negligently and they're like, well now we need a new one. It's like, well, I just bought the last one four months ago and now you're asking for another one. So it sets like this tangible expectation. Maybe you are too nice. I think maybe. Are you getting walked all over? Well, my office manager, she drops the hammer on me and everybody there. So if you want something, you best ask for it before she places her order. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be like oxygen. 
nope, you're not getting it until I'm ordering next month. Yeah. So like that's one thing that she does. And of course we have a, a budget, but if, I mean, again, if you need it, you get it, you know, um, I don't know. I'm it thinking is this is a great article for dental economics. I think David, your younger dentist group needs to hear that because with, with Irene being so young and new to practice, a lot of these things, I mean, Pam, we've been doing this too long. Our rules are set in place. Now we go back changing things and we're like, okay, no, you can't get it when you want it. You have a budget now. You know, I budget, love it. I love it. But word. that's the way you start, you know? Yeah. That's, so that's a really good point. And if I pulled back a word that you shared a couple seconds ago, expectations. Yeah. Um, setting them. Yeah. Helpful. So, so, so with that, because you get, and I'm losing the name of this woman, but there was a woman in New York City, in uh, school teacher, and she taught um, kids of very low socioeconomic status who for decades and decades, nobody expected much. And she was teaching them to read. And when she came in, she believed that if she set the bar higher, that kids would respond. And she had like grammar school kids reading at a high school level when for decades and decades, you know, no one, no one thought anyone's gonna accomplish anything. So if we're talking about expectations and how to set them, and maybe even how to shift them. Yeah. For those of us who've been doing this yeah. for 10 years, I guess, Irene, my question to you is, how do you onboarding set expectations and then maybe Chad and Pam, how would you look at shifting expectations for teams who are used to something being done a certain way for an extended period of time? How do you set them when you onboard? Yeah, um, so we've got a kind of office manual, protocol manual, very loosely enforced. Uh, it's reviewed, but I think as a startup, so startup, new practice owner, all of these systems that I put in place were things that I borrowed from other people. Shout outs to Mark Costas, who has a really interesting philosophy. He helped me with some of these tough conversations. How, how do you set them? You, you just do. You have, but you have to convince yourself that this is what you want. Yes. If you're like loosely saying something like, oh yeah, now we're gonna start using this device for oral cancer screenings, but you're not leading by example by implementing those things, then the team members are also not going to feel like it's, it's a mandatory thing. Yeah. So for example, our new patient examination with our dentist includes radiographs, usually a full mouth series, full photos, diagnostics, and an intraoral scan. Those are non-negotiables. Those are, there is no time, certain person's late, like those are all things that must be done in order for us to evaluate and diagnose restorative work. If I don't enforce those things, then my team's not gonna do it. So if this is the budget, this is the budget. I also receive a budget. Yeah. I also need to be held accountable. I also need people to say, hey Irene, that patient that you saw the other day, I saw them back for this SRP. You left calculus, I can see it on an x-ray. This is the like communication that we need to have because I am no higher than anyone else when it comes to clinical care. So I need to lead by example. And that might mean that at times I am also embarrassed. That's a great point. How do you shift them? Can so, you shift them? Um, out the door. Yeah. Out the door? Shift them out the door. You know, let's just, let's just uh, several years ago, I had our practice read this book, and I know everybody hopefully has read it, but Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. Yes. No, nobody likes their cheese moved, you know? I mean, and if you haven't read it, read it. It's, it's a quick, quick, quick read, but nobody likes their cheese moved, so it's, moved, so it's hard. Um, I heard a phrase a long time ago that 
that came from one of my mentors, Dr. Stephen Cutberth, and he said, whenever you're gonna do something with your team, that's change. Started off with, love you, but this is strictly business. And like you know that. the thing the thing is is that you know in dental practices the majority of us we're a family. I mean and and if you're not I hope that you find that in your practice but we'll start off with love you but this is strictly business and then you find a reason for the change. And in this day and age it's like look overhead is out of hand. Costs are going up. Inflation's through the roof. We're going to institute this change, and I promise you it's going to be for the better, but you've got to give it time to take effect. Let's try it. Let's do it for 90 days. Let's see how it works. And I promise you that after 90 days, everybody should be on board with it. And if you're not, let's have a discussion as to why not. But uh, that's just something that I learned a long time ago, and it's, it's kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Same, I mean, I feel like I do, I'm like, you know what, I'll never, I mean, at this point, everybody knows me well enough in the practice that any criticism I give is not just to be a biatch, you know, it's more so because, you know, there's a problem and we need to solve it. And so I'll never just be in a bad mood and nitpick you just for, you know, my own entertainment. I'll never do that. So if we have to change something, if we have to tweak something, I think, you know, I identify the problem, there's a solution, and we need to figure out together how we're going to get there. And I feel that, you know, if they're just against it, well then that's a different conversation. But for the most part, it's a partnership, it's team. You know, it's one of those things that we all have to do it together. And sometimes it doesn't have to get all the way to me, which is nice. My office manager will kind of handle a lot of those things. So I get to stay out of it, which is really my favorite. But I feel like for the most part, if it's something that we need to tweak, it's done you know, as a team and it's done together. Now, we don't have that much time left. We're I'm always the down. time person. I know, we've got under 10 minutes and we wanted to hear from you guys. Like, do you have any questions or anything you would like to share? We're happy to keep yapping along for the next 10 minutes, but if you have something you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. No one's standing up. For those of you that can't see, there's one person in the audience. Oh. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. That's no. true, from this view, we could say there's millions of people. I have a question, if no one stands up, then I'll stand up. Yeah. Um, I'll let oh, you, could you go I'll to the let, microphone, I'll, please? Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you uh, ponder if you have anything that you want to ask. Um, so I have a question as a new business owner, a new practice owner, and, and all of you presumably, you know, we all follow each other on social media, Am I doing anything wrong early on that you have heard perhaps, and this is like open feedback from friends, that you're like, that might bite you in 10 years from now, the like, love you but it's business? Because I feel like there are very few hygienists who own practices and even fewer of them who talk about it publicly because I understand and I have been privy to not everyone's gonna see it in the same way. So is there something that you guys see that you're like, hey Irene, that's, I'm not turning this into the Irene show, but I'd love your advice. Well, since you asked, um, <laughs> I'll have some, some notes list. here. Buckle up. Uh, I'm sweating. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna say no, I love what you're doing. You know, I mean, that's why you're sitting right here in between these two class acts. I mean, 
there's you're you're doing a fantastic job out there you know i i don't see anything and i think that maybe this conversation today between the four of us maybe we could be the people that lift you up when you do fall down if we do see something but now i think i have that 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 open door to do so after having this conversation Same. i think i think that is lacking like strangers are very open to telling you when you've done something wrong or when you posted the wrong thing or if, when something is strange and fans are the first ones to tell you that they love something but there's this like middle ground of the people that you respect that don't always shine through because you know we're busy doing our own stuff but it's that like demographic of people that you see that you are connected with in, in this very small dental world like the story you shared about the dentist down the street yeah like I don't I don't have that yeah. and I don't know if I would ever and I, maybe this is a fault for me too that I should be the person to stand up and to say to a friend hey this was great or would you consider something else How, when where's that line between overstepping and being valuable in your feedback I think it depends on what you were saying earlier. Like, what's your love language? Like, how do you want to receive constructive criticism? And I think that if you want to invite it like you just did, I think that, you know, and among friends, yeah, I think that's a way to do it. There's people that want to be just patted on the head and be like, no, 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 you're perfect as you are. And they don't want to hear it. But I feel like, you know, if you want and, and you're willing to accept that criticism in the spirit of being better or in the spirit of doing better, I think that you just have to be welcoming of that and then I think people would be more open to sharing it. I'm going to send you all photos of my fillings yeah. every day, every filling I do. Hey Pam, how's my margin? Anytime and I'll send you some of mine and you'll be like, hey, you need to do better. Or I'm like, damn, I suck. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, we all have those days, yeah. you know? Alan said a couple weeks ago, like, I would never want to be judged on my worst day. Alan Mead, he remember oh, yeah. he said that? Yeah. And he was like, you know, we're so quick on social media to jump down somebody's throat for something that you see that you may or may not agree with. Obviously, there's things that are like overt and they're, you're like, oh my gosh. But like, you know, we wouldn't want to be judged on our worst day. And I feel like we have to be a little bit, you know, kinder to others too. We all saw that recent post of someone seeding six anterior crowns or veneers using clothesline picks. Did we all, did we oh, all see I those saw recently? That. Yeah. I love that site, by it's the like, way. Wait a minute. Crazy yeah. Stuff. yeah. I can just go to the Dollar Tree? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it. Can we judge on that? <laughs> yes. So yes, that we, we have a fair assessment to judge. I think you bring up a good point where you're asking if I'm doing something wrong, you know, would you tell me or whatever, you know, however you exactly you said it. But I think there's a problem in the social media world, since we're on this topic, of too many people passing judgment on something they perceive as wrong or watching somebody go off the rails and then just turning around and talking about that person. Yeah. If we see this, maybe we should have the inspiration to try and be that person to help them rather than break them down. Yep. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that, that do need help um, that aren't receiving it. I'm glad we came full circle to this. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, you know, very much on social media, I, I try to do what I do in my practice when I see something wonky happening out in the communities. In my neighborhood, I can pick up the phone 
mm -hmm. and just say, hey, Chad, yeah. tell me a story. And yeah. I think we can do that better with each other socially and maybe step back and realize that um, there is a person behind that platform who's trying to accomplish something that maybe we understand, maybe we don't understand, maybe we could try to understand a little bit better but it feels like we have some accountability buddies going on up on this yeah. stage so i'm i'm grateful to hang should out we with get the, matching tattoos we I should feel get like we now need matching or at least yes. like the blood thing i don't yeah. know so Can what do i would like to do is um, david so. and i would like to track you <laughs> in the future and um, like with air tags with air tags yeah. there's an unidentified air tag traveling with you so we'd like to give you no guys way. a small gift for joining yeah, us yeah thanks for oh, thanks for so, hanging with us so much everybody that we've given them to so far this morning is like so are you trying to track me now like what is this so now i'm to lead with it. I'm going to put it a Pam emoji, like a redhead yeah. emoji. <laughs> yes. So anywhere I go, just similar to like how you share your uh, Snapchat like location, I'm going to add a Pam emoji to it. By all means. Wherever I am, you will be with me. Thank I love you. it. I love it. Well, thanks for hanging out. Thank you. Thank thanks you. for hanging out with us. Hope Thank you all have you. a great rest of your day. Until next time, Dennis and Mass, we'll see you what in a week. We'll see you next week. From somewhere. All, all right. right. Bye, thanks, guys. everybody. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.